The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of my fabulous sponsors or advertisers. Any content provided by our bloggers or authors are of their own opinions and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. This disclaimer was brought to you by DisclaimerTemplate.com. Fair Use Notice This channel may make use of copyrighted material, the use of which has not always been specifically authorized by the copyright owner. This constitutes a fair use of any such copyrighted material as provided for in Section 107 of the U.S. Copyright Law. In accordance with Title 17 U.S.C. Section 107, the material on this channel is offered publicly and without profit to the public users of the Internet for comment and nonprofit educational and informational purposes. Copyright Disclaimer Under Section 107 of the Copyright Act 1976, allowance is made for fair use for purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, and research. Fair use is a use permitted. No copyrights is or are claimed. The content is broadcasted for study, research, and educational purposes. The broadcaster gains no profit from broadcasted content, so it falls under fair use guidelines, www.copyright.gov forward slash FLS forward slash FL102.html. And we'll be right back. Hello, my lovely loyal listeners. Today is Monday, September 5th, 2022, Labor Day. On today's episode of As the Massage Tip Returns, we're going down this rabbit hole as much as we can in 30 minutes. I appreciate you taking time during this holiday to listen to me, even though we don't know what we're going to see. I love you for listening, and we'll be right back after this brief pause for the cause. It's time for Dictionary Definition of the Day. Today's dictionary definition word of the day, brought to you by Oxford Languages, is labor. It's a noun, number one, work, especially hard physical labor. Two, in the UK or Canada, the labor party. It's also a verb, number one, work hard. Make great effort. 
Number two, have difficulty in doing something despite working hard. Labor. And we'll be right back. All right, my lovely loyal listeners, we are back on this Labor Day 2022. So I was wondering, why are we celebrating labor? The first thing the search engine pulled up was wikipedia.com, which says, Labor Day is a federal holiday in the United States celebrated on the first Monday in September to honor and recognize the American labor movement and the works and contributions of laborers to the development and achievements of the United States. The three-day weekend falls on, um, excuse me, the three-day weekend it falls on is called Labor Day weekend. This holiday has been observed for 140 years. It lasts one day. It is celebrated with parades and barbecues. And it's also related to Labor Day, which is on May 1st annually to celebrate the achievements of workers with origins in the labor union movement, specifically the eight-hour day movement, which advocated for eight-hour work eight hours recreation, and eight hours for rest, also known as the International Workers' Day Worldwide. All this talk of labor is making me hungry. So we'll take a brief pause for the cause, and we'll be right back with more as the massage table turns. I love you for listening. We'll be right back. All right, my lovely loyal listeners, buckle up. We are back and we are on the website, WashingtonPost.com. And this article is entitled, Why Do We Celebrate Labor Day? So Grover Cleveland Could Own the Left. This was written by Jillian Brockell on September 5th, 2022 at 6 o'clock a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Now, there's a photograph here of President Grover Cleveland during his first term at the White House in 1888, Prints and Photographs Division, Library of Congress. Americans often do things a little differently from the rest of the world. We measure differently, imperial versus metric, write the date differently, month, day, year versus day, month, year, and fill our cups with enormous amounts of ice, a less cost-effective but undeniably more enjoyable way to consume beverages. We also celebrate workers and the labor movement on a completely different day from most of the rest of the world. 
Labor Day versus May Day. This is particularly strange considering both days started right here in the United States. So how did one spread elsewhere while the other became a federal holiday here? Politics, of course. Labor Day came first, but its origins are contested, according to a widely cited 1982 paper by Theodore Watts. Some say it was the brainchild of a respected union leader, Peter McGuire, at an 1882 meeting of the New York Central Labor Union. Others credit Matthew McGuire, also a respected union leader and member of the New York Central Labor Union, but with a reputation for radicalism. Watts and others suggest that after Labor Day became a big deal, union brass credited McGuire instead of McGuire in the origin story to keep any hints of radicalism at bay. And just for reference, since you guys can't see it, one's last name is spelled M-C-G-U-I-R-E. And the other one's name is spelled M-A-G-U-I-R-E. But they're both pronounced McGuire. McGuire and Maguire. Okay. In any case, someone suggested a parade and picnic to celebrate workers and unions at a meeting in New York in 1882. Tickets to March were sold to male union members for 25 cents each, while women and children marched for free. Though the event was planned mostly by Irish immigrants, ads were translated into German. Alcohol was banned. It was scheduled for September 5th, a Tuesday, meaning most of the demonstrators were skipping work. Divisions came from Jersey City, Brooklyn, Harlem, and other areas, and they gathered on Canal Street. More than 20,000 people marched up Broadway to Bryant Park, a little under three miles, holding banners and singing songs about the eight-hour workday and other union demands. Afterwards, marchers went to a picnic at Wendell's Elm Park, a private park on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. There were even more people and more unions there at the picnic. There were 15 daily newspapers in the city at the time, and their coverage of the event was mostly glowing. It went so well that organizers decided they would do it again the next September. Within a few years, it had spread to other states and cities and was moved to the first Monday in September. Now, about May Day, 
there was already a holiday on the 1st of May with ancient origins. Think flower crowns and maypoles. But national labor organizers did not have that in mind in 1884 when they set May 1st, 1886 as a deadline for businesses to grant their workers an eight-hour workday. As the day approached, unions across the country prepared for a general strike. That day, somewhere between 300,000 and 500,000 workers struck nationwide. In Chicago, the strikers tended to be more radical socialists and anarchists, and their protests continued after others had gone home. On May 3rd, police shot into a crowd of strikers, killing two. Outraged, people gathered at Haymarket Square the next day, and in the ensuing riot, 12 people were killed, eight of them police officers. The next year, unions held a commemoration of the Haymarket events on May 1st, and by 1889, the second international, a worldwide conference of socialists, declared it International Workers' Day, though it is mostly called May Day. Both May Day and Labor Day were honored in the United States by various labor groups for years, though the former had a reputation for being more political, more radical, and less merry than the latter. For that reason, Labor Day was always more popular with lawmakers, and more than 20 states had made it a state holiday by 1894. Making it a federal holiday was not high on the list for President Grover Cleveland. In 1894, he was focused on the recession and kicking around the ideal of running for a third term. And then there was the headache of the Pullman strike, a long and bitter strike centered in Chicago and threatening the nation's already battered economy. As Cleveland prepared to clamp down on the strikers, he pushed a Labor Day bill through Congress and signed it on June 28th. Most historians agree it was largely an attempt to concede something to the labor movement while blunting the power of the more radical May Day crowd. A few days later, Cleveland ordered federal troops to Chicago as the strikers grew violent. On July 17th, National Guard troops fired into the crowd, killing as many as 30 people. When the first federally recognized Labor Day rolled around that September, workers and labor unions were not assuaged. Only federal workers got the day off. And that, you guys, is the end of this article by Jillian Brockell. Jillian Brockell is a staff writer for the Washington Post's history blog, Retropolis. She has been at the Post since 
2013 and previously worked as a video editor. And she has a Twitter page. And we want to thank Miss Jillian for this lovely article. Why do we celebrate Labor Day so Grover Cleveland could own the left? And we'll be right back with another exciting article and the conclusion of today's episode of As the Massage Table Turns. I love you for listening. All right, my lovely loyal listeners, we are back and we are remaining on the website, The Washington Post. But I'm going to have to do a little prelude before I read this article, you guys, because when I pressed on the article, it went to a segment called The Monkey Cage, and I immediately was taken back. So, you know, I'm going to have to have a conversation with the Washington Post. We'll be right back after this brief pause for me to take a breath. <laughs> it's time for the bonus dictionary definition word of the day. Today's bonus dictionary definition word of the day brought to you by Oxford Languages is circa. It's a preposition often preceding a date approximately circa. And we'll be right back. All right, my loyal, lovely listeners, we are back And we are still on the Washington Post, even though I did just shoot them an email. And we're under an article called Nanny Helen Burroughs, Trailblazing Black Teacher and Labor Organizer. For Labor Day, we look at how she forged career paths and jobs for black girls during the Jim Crow era. Analysis by Danielle Phillips Cunningham, September 5th, 2022, at 7 o'clock a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Now, there's a photograph here of Nanny Helen Burroughs, circa 1920s, courtesy of the Southern Baptist Convention Historical Library and Archives. This Labor Day comes during a year of a historic upturn in labor organizing, including just this month, a teacher strike in Columbus, Ohio. My research has delved into some of the long history of teachers' community investments and institution building that can strengthen our democracy. In a forthcoming labor history, I explore the life of Nanny Helen Burroughs, founder of the National Training School for Women and Girls in Washington, D.C. in 1909. Burroughs was one of several trailblazing black women, educators, and labor leaders. When Burroughs founded the NTS in 1909, black women and girls were among the most exploited workers in the country. The Jim Crow South relegated black youths 
to often underfund, underfunded schools. Black women and girls were barred from jobs other than sharecropping and domestic service, the lowest paying occupations in the U.S. economy. No laws protected them from rapid, from rampant racial and gender violence. Teaching was the only profession available to educated women like Burroughs. As with her pioneering friends, Mary McLeod Bethune and Lucy Craft Laney, for Burroughs, teaching was never solely about lesson plans. Burroughs used her position as corresponding secretary of the Women's Convention, WC, the Women's Auxiliary Group of the National Baptist Convention, NBC, to democratize education by building her own school. While teaching and presiding over the NTS, Burroughs worked at holding the country accountable to the citizenship's promises of the 14th Amendment. Through her curriculum and community organizing, she operationalized her philosophy that every young person deserved a quality education that opened access to any profession, living wages, safe and comfortable housing, clean water and nutritious food, and personal enjoyments. She often sacrificed her livelihood, personal comforts, and sometimes her physical health to meet the needs of her students and communities. Challenging inequalities through curriculum building. Influenced by her high school teachers, Anna Julia Cooper and Mary Church Terrell, Burroughs made the politically and financially risky decision to create a blended curriculum of trade and academic programs for her students. As she declared, the mission of the NTS was to prepare the army of colored women breadwinners to think and work. She could find no investors among white philanthropists who believed that black girls were intellectually incapable of learning academic subjects or Baptist leaders who argued that a girl's trade programs would disrupt the natural order in which men were breadwinners. Instead, she found smaller donors from the Women's Convention, Black educators, white women educators, and other supporters. For 30 years, Burroughs took no salary to allocate those funds to building and repairing dormitories, classrooms, a dining hall, and providing student scholarships and teacher salaries. Burroughs built the NTS as a laboratory where she and faculty experimented with how to challenge the hierarchies of occupations while meeting the material needs, aspirations, and intellectual curiosities of their students. Knowing that Black women could most easily find jobs in household employment, they created a rigorous domestic science curriculum to provide students with the certification, enabling them to demand living wages and safe working conditions. They designed trade courses in printing, stenography, millinery, 
and power machine operations, training students to assert their right to jobs in fields dominated by men and white women. Students also took courses in African-American history, English, ancient and general history, sociology, Latin, and Spanish. Community Organizing Through the NTS. Burroughs knew that her curriculum alone would not change society for young people. As a creative writer, she wrote plays to inspire community conversations and collective action against systemic inequalities. In 1929, NTS students performed her play, When Truth Gets a Hearing, about racial and labor injustices in the United States, Haiti, Liberia, and Ethiopia, in churches and theaters along the East Coast and in California. After attending the performance at Dunbar Theater in Philadelphia, W.E.B. Du Bois wrote to her, I was astonished and gratified to note the way in which it gripped and interested the audience. We have lots to learn from you. Alice Dunbar Nelson, Harlem Renaissance writer and Burroughs' close friend, wrote that the audience voiced their approval so vigorously and wholeheartedly that some of the lines were lost. During the Depression, Burroughs turned her attention to organizing students and the local D.C. community. In 1934, she established the Cooperative Industries, initially called the Northeast Self-Help Cooperative, on the NTS campus. Through its medical clinic, broom factory, grocery store, furniture, barrel chair manufacturing, and 106-acre farm, the cooperative provided jobs, affordable resources, and business shares for NTS students and over 6,000 black people. Burroughs developed a stress-induced illness from the hard work of keeping her school and cooperative open during that national financial crisis. Even then, she wrote countless letters from her sickbed requesting donations from friends and organizations for building repairs, student scholarships, and teacher salaries. With supporters' help, NTS enrollment increased by the late 1930s. Burroughs and NTS faculty continued serving students and communities until she passed away in 1961. In 1964, the NTS was renamed the Nanny Helen Burroughs School in her honor and was eventually turned into a private elementary school that closed in 2006. Valuing teachers and the work they do. If Burroughs were still with us, she would join teachers at picket lines across the country. Her concerns, challenges, sacrifices, and community influences echo in the stories of teachers more than a hundred years later. Her example reminds us that teachers' labor is essential to the health and future of the country, supporting young people's and communities' everyday needs and aspirations. And that was again written by Danielle Phillips Cunningham at Phillips 3D. 
She is a program director and associate professor of women's and gender studies at Texas Women's University and author of the forthcoming A Tower of Strength in the Labor World, Nanny Helen Burroughs and her National Training School for Women and Girls, Georgetown University Press. And that, you guys, is the conclusion of this episode of As the Massage Table Turns. I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your valuable day to listen to this podcast. Happy Labor Day if you celebrate Labor Day. And you know the rules. Don't let anybody take you out of your square. You are the only you in the universe and you are doing a great job of being yourself. On that note, Please support my sister podcast, Just Miss Rose, and I'll see you on Wednesday's episode of As the Massage Table Turns. I love you for listening. See you Wednesday.